Right now, guys, we've been studying through the book of Acts verse by verse, loving it. Uh, and we find ourselves in the midst of Paul's second missionary journey here as we uh, conclude the uh, rest of chapter 17 of Acts. Um, and it's been tough, yet it's a great one so far uh, for these guys. If you guys recall, they had been beaten. They'd been imprisoned there in Philippi. Uh, they left a church there. A church uh, was established in Thessalonica. Uh, they were chased out of town. Uh, many believed there. And then they went on to Berea, people that loved the Bible there. We studied that uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, and then there was these Jews from Thessalonica that traveled 50 miles uh, there and ran them out of town. So Paul left Berea and he made a 200-mile trip down uh, to Athens. And he left Silas and Timothy behind. He was alone in Athens in the place of Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, uh, Zeno. There's a lot of different philosophers throughout the ages that hung out discussing the deep things of life there. Uh, and though it had uh, really been 400 years since that golden age of those philosophers, Paul found city, the city's glory and prestige was still intact when he went. Uh, architecture, the Parthenon, the Areopagus, um, Athens was really uh, the intellectual center of the world at that time. Uh, much kind of like what Oxford, Oxford would have been during the, the 1900s. in uh, the scholars from all over the world, you know, would make that their adopted home. But something was deeply wrong, okay? Um, one of my favorite commentators is Kent Hughes. I encourage you guys to read commentators. You can jot down Kent Hughes. I read him quite a bit. And he had this to say. He said, despite all her glory, Athens was empty, because she was living on the memories of the past. In philosophy, she simply repeated the echoes of men long gone. Her art was no longer innate overflow, but a lingering reflex. It was such a city that the apostle came, proud, glorious to the eye, but dead. I liked his description of it. So we pick it up in Acts 17, verse 16 this morning. It says, Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So here, guys, we have Paul. He came to Athens, and you saw all over the place these idols. It provoked him. He was stirred in his heart that the city had been given over to these gods. So idols were literally everywhere. There was a God for everything. Uh, Panatius, a Grecian uh, geographer who visited Athens 15 years later, said it was easier to meet a god or a goddess on the main street of Athens than to meet a man. <laughs> and that was actually statistically true. The population at that time was about 10,000, 
And the historians say there were over 30,000 idols <laughs> that were built. So Paul could appreciate the city's beauty, okay? It was huge. It was beautiful. They had over 3,000 temples. 10,000 people, 3,000 temples. Do you guys see how much idolatry was taking place there? So um, it was a beautiful, the architectural greatness of it. I've gotten to go to Athens. Beautiful. A lot of the um, a lot of the buildings are still standing, you know. The ruins are only slightly ruined in spots, so you still can appreciate uh, quite a bit of it. Um, so he got there, but his heart, yeah, I hope you guys catch this, his heart was stirred over the condition of the people, of what was going on in this city, okay, that they were a people that were in bondage. That's what idols do. <laughs> they bring you into bondage bondage okay they were in fear they they were in a place of being controlled by these idols um i want to ask you guys a question before we move on here um i find as a believer a heart response when i go to events or places a ball game to the packers stadium there's something that or if i'm at the mall are there things that go on within you when you go to these type of places or events and you see a lot of people gathered together. Jesus, as we read the Gospels, we see that he was full of compassion, wasn't he? And I'm thankful for that compassion. <laughs> I think you guys are too. He was full of compassion. Why? Because these are a people, a people that don't have a shepherd. They're sheep without a shepherd. You see, empathy feels a person's hurt or lost. You see, compassion feels it, and then it actually does. It seeks to do something about it. That's what compassion does. So Jesus had compassion. He did something about it, didn't he? Man, this world is lost. <laughs> there is no hope. What did God do? Oh, good for them. They screwed up. <laughs> Too bad. No. God so loved the world that he gave, he did something about it, didn't he? Paul, we're told here, was provoked. And he did something about it, didn't he? That's what we get to read this morning. He did something about it. So a reminder for you and I, effective evangelism begins with a burden. Begins with a burden. Do you care that people are lost and going to hell? Are you eternally mindful or not? It's the only thing that matters in this life. It's the only thing that matters. And if we have compassion, you're going to have a true burden and you're really going to do something about it. So, Paul could not be indifferent or detached, so he jumped right in, okay? He had a provoked heart. Verse 17, he reasoned with them, he debated with them, he dialogued with them about these things. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, he understood grace. He wrote a lot of letters about God's grace. He was a man full of compassion. Jesus, oh man, gentle, right? Gentle. That's, that's one of the characteristics we don't like to talk about a whole lot about Jesus, but you're reading in Scripture, 
He was gentle and very compassionate, and he offended a lot of people. Why? Because that's what the truth does, guys. And we live in a day and an age we don't want to offend anybody. No, we need to have so much compassion and so much love for people and that we care enough that they're probably going to hell because they don't know Jesus, <laughs> that we're willing to share the truth and love with them. So he was there reasoning with them. So in the synagogue and in the marketplace, we have got to get the gospel out of the church. You know, well, isn't that what church is for? How many unbelievers do we just have walk through these doors? Hey, church, can you tell me about Jesus? Can you tell me about God? Can you tell me about the Bible? Can you tell me how to get to heaven? You know, it doesn't happen too often, does it? And has God asked us to do church that way? No, church is for the believer. You guys understand that? That's what church is for. It's for the equipping of the saints that we are prepared to what? To do what the church is called to do, which is go. <laughs> We're to go into the world, all the world, and make disciples. So the holy huddle, right? We get together on Sundays. We have our small groups all the time. We're called to go out into the world. Okay, we're called to play the game. Okay, when I got called into ministry at 18 years of age, within that year, I was leading six Bible studies a week. I thought that was it. Okay, Lord crashed into my life radically. All I knew is, hey, God's word's truth. People need to know it. They need to get saved. And then I went off to Bible college. Great. Came home on break. What did I do in between? Hey, started up three Bible studies. Here we go. Let's do it again. Bible studies is where it's at. Went and finished up Bible college. The Lord called me back to the valley. Okay, I'm going back to this good group of people. You guys know we have good people in the Fox Valley. People move here because this is a good place to live. I wept. Lord, they're all self-righteous. Why do you want me to go back to the Fox Valley? No one cares about Jesus there. We have all these churches that are doing nothing. Okay, I spent my whole life growing up. I had no one ever stop me to share the gospel with me. Nobody cared. Why come back here? Lord, I want to be on the mission field where people know they're sinners. They're looking for a Savior. They want hope. They want to know what is real. Why back here? Okay, Lord, call me back. So what did I do? Well, started serving at a church. Started up five, six Bible studies again a week. Teaching, 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 teaching. And also trying to do. Also trying to go. But it was hard to get people to go. Why? Because saints like their little huddles. It's comfortable. I'm just around my brothers and sisters. We're family. This is easy. Okay? We're not going to have a lot of confrontation. We're just going to get together and worship the Lord and study his word and this is great and beautiful and life couldn't be better, right? But God's called us to go. All these Bible studies we're doing, reading the word and God's saying, church, grow up, mature, take my word to the world, go share it. I get asked often, and many of you here this morning have asked me, why don't we have a midweek service? We're one of the best teaching churches in the valley. Why aren't we doing more Bible studies during the week? I'd love to have more Bible studies, but I'm also under the conviction we need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We purposely have 
the Freedom Center Food Pantry open on Wednesday nights. Well, isn't that midweek study? Don't teachers in our public school give our kids less homework on Wednesday nights because they know a lot of families go to churches on Wednesday night? Is that a night for church? Shouldn't we have a worship service there? Yeah, we should have a worship service. How do we worship the Lord? By doing his word. And we're serving every week on Wednesday. And let me tell you what, guys, we need to be doers. Because for a long time, I try to lead by example. (laughs) Well, if I go and I serve, if I'm going out on the street and preaching, maybe others will come. Maybe others will be a part of it. You know, it's hard. It's hard to get people to come out for prayer, to go on a missions trip, to go on the Ave, to preach the word, to get people to come help hand out food and share the gospel with our guests. It's hard to do that. But hey, let's do a Bible study. People show up for that stuff. What's going on, guys? We've got to be doers of the Word. We need the Word. Bible study needs to be an emphasis, but it's supposed to do something in us. And if there isn't fruit from it, then we're just wasting our time. Because let me tell you what, we're the ones that have the truth. <laughs> and if we're not going out and sharing it, who's going to do it? Okay, who's going to go? The world definitely isn't. The news definitely isn't sharing the good news. I don't even watch the news anymore, guys. <laughs> I mean, is the same stuff still going on? Do we still want to impeach our president? Okay. We want to do that with the last guy, right? Are there still wars going on? Are we still scared about getting bombed? Are we scared as Americans? I had a council gal a couple days ago. She doesn't go to church here, but she's in turmoil. She's overwhelmed. She was watching the news, and she's scared for America. That was going on 20 years ago when I watched the news all the time. Nothing changes. The one thing that stays the same is there's a lot of people rejecting Jesus Christ or don't even think about eternal life. They need to hear. So, sorry I got so sidetracked. Holy huddles. (laughs) We need to go, guys. Amen? All right. So Paul saw all this emphasis of these false gods and wanted to desperately to share with them about the true and the living God. So one of the most important truths that the Bible wanted, or Paul wanted uh, them to know is this, that God is close, okay? God is close, um, but he even wants to be closer. See, the main point is to be up close to God, okay? And that God wants to be close uh, to him. And the only thing is, we have to be willing. (laughs) Are we willing to seek? So, As we conclude the rest of this chapter, there's a few points I want to lay out for you and I this morning. The first one I want to look at with you guys is getting close to God requires more than being religious. Okay? There's so many religious people that are going to find themselves in hell. But Lord, Lord, I gave all this money to the church. Lord, we did all these things in your name. Lord, look at all this good stuff. And Jesus is going to say what to them? Depart from me, I never knew you. (laughs) God says it isn't about religion, okay? You see, getting close to God requires knowing the truth about God, and getting close to God requires repentance. I know a lot of people that know a whole lot about God, but they're not willing to turn to him, to change their ways, to do it his way. And getting close to God requires more than being religious. So, It is not just okay just to believe in something. You need to believe the right thing. 
Athens was a great example of believing something, right? 30,000 gods. <laughs> well, a God for every occasion, right? So Paul, what does he do? He was out in the marketplace one day when, verse 18, certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? And others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of a foreign God because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. So there were two main groups of intellectual philosophers uh, types in Athens called Epicureans and the Stoics. Epicureans, they believe that everything happens by chance and the death, it's the end. Okay, extinction, there is no afterlife whatsoever. They believe there are gods, but those gods, they have nothing to do with the world. Um, they were practical agnostics who believed um, that the, the pleasure, okay, the, the chief end of man was our pleasure, and that a simple lifestyle uh, is really the most pleasurable. And then you have the Stoics. They were pantheists, uh, believing that everything is God and that whatever happened to them, it was their destiny. So consequently, guys, they sought to live uh, with apathy and detachment, okay? Uh, fatalistic uh, resignation, really. Uh, so together, these two philosophies, they represented the popular pagan alternatives for dealing with the plight of humanity apart from Christ. So some people have suggested that Paul here, he tried to be too clever. He went to Athens, okay? And he's trying to persuade um, the, the people there, okay, by clever teachings. So he was too cultural or too relevant. Uh, they quote, you know, Paul ends up quoting his, their philosophers and so forth. I uh, read commentaries this week on that. Um, but I think it makes it very clear here that he didn't shriek back from preaching the gospel, guys. That's what I read from the scriptures. Um, he, he preached Jesus to them. Paul was talking about Jesus, who he was, God in human flesh, why he came to pay the price for sin, his death, the cross, and the resurrection. So it was with this talk about the resurrection that really challenged them. Neither Stoic or Epicurean believed in eternal life. Therefore, Paul talks about the resurrection, and that's what captured their attention. That's what captures the attention of people today. And how often do we talk about the resurrected Lord when sharing the gospel with others? We need to. We need to get people thinking about this afterlife because God, we're told, has written eternity in every single person's heart. If they're honest with themselves, they know that something goes on. We go on. Great. Preach the resurrection. It gets people thinking about it then. So, um, <laughs> they brought to Paul the big boys at their, uh, the arrow. Uh, pockets here. It says in verse 19, they took out, or they took him, Paul, uh, and brought him to the Aeropagus and saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, 
for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For the Athenians and the foreigners who were there, they spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So the Aeropocopus, that's Mars Hill. Okay, you guys have heard of Mars Hill. That's what this is. Uh, it was 337 feet in elevation and located in the center of Athens. It was the place where philosophers hung out and where the Council of uh, Education and Religion, they met daily there. The Athenians were religious. They were open to spiritual things. So uh, they were very open. Uh, they were uh, also itching to hear something new. Hey, we want to hear what are you talking about? This is fun for us. So Paul is given an audience uh, with the big boys while the crowds looked on. Verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the object of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. So getting close to God requires believing the truth about him. Okay, you understand that? It's got to be the truth of who he is. You're not going to find out the truth of who he is by sitting on the top of a mountain somewhere staring at your belly button. Ain't going to happen, guys. <laughs> okay, He has revealed to mankind, he's given us his word, <laughs> revealing who he is. So his message made a brilliant application for he pointed directly to the problem. The word translated unknown is the root from which we get ag agnosticism, which really mean, it means to be without knowledge. So you don't know. Okay, The, uh, the Athenians here were supposed to know everything. And they did. Almost, right? But one of the most important truths, uh, truth is that they came up short. They did not know God. They did not know God. Oh, I still want to talk about the Lord coming back. Um, yeah, Daniel. One little, one little side note. <laughs> uh, Daniel prophesies a lot about the end times day. It says, in the last days, knowledge will abound here on planet Earth. Okay? And you think about the knowledge that has been gained just in recent decades compared to all the history of man. We're just, you know, unreal. And same thing's going on. You know, even 2,000 years ago, these were the guys who knew the most about anything, right? But they didn't know God. It's the same thing that's true today, isn't it? We know so much more than we ever have before. But we're still missing the one thing that's most important. Knowing God, right? So, um, they did not know God. So in his message, Paul is going to present five important truths about God. The first one, guys, is that he created everything. Look at verse 24. God who made the world and everything in it, 
since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So the unknown God is the God who made everything. He's too big for any singular temple or any carved altar, no matter how beautiful or how impressive that it may appear. The temple was just a tangible place to meet with God. Every part of worship experience pointed to Jesus. God became man. And he died upon the cross. That's what it's about, guys. You see, God is the creator of all things. He is not created. In every country in the world, including in the most universalist or universities uh, that we have across uh, the United States, professors doubt the existence of God. That's the wisdom of the world today, guys. Yet they're forced to wrestle with him. Constantly trying to refute his existence by you know, trying to explain away creation. Weird if I wrestled with something I claimed didn't exist. Like, <laughs> just think about it for a second, guys. But that's what the world's doing. In Psalm 9.1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God in the firmament. It shows his handiwork. You cannot look at creation and say there's no creator. That's just foolishness. And only a fool, the Bible tells us, says there's no God. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by all things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So creation points to a creator. There is a design. There must be a designer. That's common sense. But the wisdom of this world says, no, nothing blew up. I don't know how that works. But that's how stupid we're willing to get just to do away with God. My heart breaks for those kids that go off to university who grew up in the church just because they have one smart professor saying they're no God. I'm going to give up everything and not believe any. I mean, that's just stupid. Satan's good. You guys know that? He's the father of lies. The last thing he wants anybody doing is finding eternal life in Jesus Christ. The second thing I want you guys to catch in Paul's sermon here, he, he was, <laughs> it tells us here uh, that he's totally self-sufficient in verse 25, right? Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. God needs nothing from mankind. Do you guys know that? Nothing. The gods of man are you know, based, these man-made based religions of the world, they all have need. Every one of their gods has a need. Think about it for a second. Exhaust all the different beliefs that you know that are out there outside of biblical Christianity. Every single one of them needs something from us, don't they? See, they need man's efforts, his time, his money. The God of the Bible, the true and living God, needs nothing from man. Nothing. God is complete. He is totally self-sufficient and does not need anything from man. Does he love us? Absolutely. Does he need us? 
Absolutely not. So God needs us like you need your three-year-old to go out and mow your lawn or your two-year-old to pick up your house. Okay? You see, everything that God asks of us is for our benefit, not his. Do you understand that? That's why we study the scriptures. If you know the truth, if you have knowledge of the word of God, you're going to see that. God is love. He cares about us. He doesn't need anything from us. But because of his love, there are things that we need from him. And you see, um, (laughs) he asks us to worship him. Does he need our worship, guys? No. He doesn't need it. But think it with me through it. Because he knows that worship of God keeps us centered, focused, and puts us in a place to have right perspectives. He asks us to give to tithe because God is a giver and he knows that we're naturally selfish. Giving makes us more like him, makes us more dependent upon him. Our money is a confidence and he wants us to be confident in who? Him. Not our bank accounts, guys. God asks us to serve so we have an opportunity to experience the joy and the power of his spirit working through our lives. A privilege that he gives to us to be involved in his work, to be his instruments. So man cannot meet any of God's needs, but God is certainly a source for man's needs. That's what the Bible teaches, guys, from Genesis to Revelation. We see that throughout. He breathes life, breath, and everything else to mankind. So your very life and breath are in his hands. The third point I'd like to uh, lay out for us this morning is he's not far from us. I love verses 26 to 28 here. Paul goes on to say, and he has made from one blood every nation of men who dwell on all the face of the earth. White supremacy, stupidity, guys. Do you understand that? God became man and died for all all period we are all one in the eyes of the lord the only reason we have racism in this world today is because what are we doing we're not looking to god are we no we think we know best our opinions are what matter no if we all humble ourselves before the living god there wouldn't be racism guys anyways enough on that i'm sure it's in the news (laughs) um Where did I stop? Oh, sorry. (laughs) That was a sidetrack. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. So, and I love this, so that they should seek the Lord. Why was I born in America in 1977? I feel super privileged, to be honest with you guys. But I do believe God hasn't given me any special favor. He loves all people. And according to the scripture, he allows people to be in the best place possible for them to seek the Lord. Well, that doesn't make sense. What if I was born in a Muslim country where never even got to hear about Jesus? Uh, I don't know. What about that? I know God knows things that I don't know. I know he's much wiser than I I know he gives every single person an opportunity to seek him. 
I know Titus tells us the grace of God has appeared to all men. And I do believe that wherever a person is in whatever situation, there's things that he shakes out in our lives that gives us the best opportunity to come to know him. You know, I'm very blessed. I'm glad I had a mother who got saved when I was two years old, brought me to church, that I got to hear the gospel. You know, I feel the grace of God big time. Not everybody has that same scenario or place, but it's one of those things we all have an opportunity to seek the Lord. It's just one of those things. And sometimes it's going to be rough things in life that are going to get you to seek the Lord. You guys know I love jail ministry. And a big part of it is because I see people, oh, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. I don't want to be incarcerated. i got a life. I'm sitting here and I'm losing everything. I'm going off to prison for the next 10 years, 20 years of my life. My life's over. But then they finally seek God for the first time in their life. And they say, Landon, I'm so glad God put me here and allowed this to happen because I finally know the truth. I finally know the living God. You know? So it's one of those things, guys. God is so beyond us. Anyways, let's go back to the scripture here. You guys get the point. But verse 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, that they would do this, though he is not far from each one of us. Isn't that so cool? He's not far from any one of us right now. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. You see, Many people believe today like the Epicureans, that God is far off, okay? We're left to figure things out all on our own. The Bible teaches the exact opposite. It describes God as being very near and very interested in every part of our lives. And we should take that serious. And God's made provision for us, hasn't he? I love what Jesus said. He said, life is more than food, It's more than body, more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. And of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a cubit to his stature? If you are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither spin nor toil. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. You see, his thoughts, guys, are far more precious than even the number of sand that's upon the planet towards you, right? Psalm 139 speaks into that. I love Jeremiah 29, 11. He has thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope, right? Matthew 10, 30, every hair on your head, he knows, he's numbered them. He cares for you guys. Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found, Call on him while he is near. Okay? And that's why I encourage people, seek the Lord today. Right? He is here. Because one thing I know, our tendency with our hearts, 
it just gets harder and harder and harder towards the Lord. Why do we see almost 90% of people who come to faith in Jesus Christ in their lifetime do it before the time they turn 18? Because in this life, you start hardening your heart more and more and more. Just another excuse. Well, if I accept God today, if I start seeking Him today, He's going to want to rearrange my life. <laughs> he's going to want me to do things His way. I want to live my way right now. Maybe I'll do that later in life. Later in life. Well, what you're doing by saying that, thinking that way, is you're actually hardening your heart more and more and more. You're becoming more and more selfish. So, he's not far from anyone today. That's what Isaiah 55, 6 says. And all that is needed is a heart that is willing to start looking for him. And you will find him. That's a promise in the Bible. When you seek the Lord with all your heart, you will find him. But get people to do that, no, it's hard, you know. Sometimes we need to go through something. Sometimes we need to be broken before we begin to seek. So what about that Muslim who's born in a Muslim nation, never gets to hear about Jesus? There's no Bibles there. That's illegal. There's no Christians because they're either killed or thrown in prison. What about that person? Because I know a handful of Muslims from the Middle East who came to know Jesus Christ. No Christian shared with them, nothing. They just began to seek the living God. Began to truly seek God. And God, whether by an angel, <laughs> by visions, whatever, God is bigger than we are. Revealed himself to him. Revealed who he is, Jesus, that he died upon a cross. For this, you know? And it's so cool because later on, finally, like one brother, seven years later, from a revelation of who Jesus Christ was, never met another Christian, he finally met a missionary seven years later. And everything that he was spoken by a vision, okay, and things in the Spirit revealed to him, he finally got the scriptures, the missionary began to share with him, all exactly the same. You know, don't put our God in a box, guys. If, you're, if anybody seeks, they will find. So, Verse 4, or sorry, not verse 4, verse 29, but the fourth point. <laughs> he is much more than man's greatest idea of him. Verse 29, Paul says this, and I love it. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art of man's devising. So they made gods of silver and of gold in their image. Their gods had human tendencies, selfish, through temper tantrums, <laughs> always walking on eggshells because of what their god might do to them, right? If we have a tendency to do the same, we tend to put God in a box. You see, tension between predestination and free will. Well, what, <laughs> what do we do? Bible teaches both, right? Man wants to explain it. Well, we can't see how the two work together, so it has to be one or the other, right? There's a tension there. Or we can just believe both and say God's big enough to have both. It's what his word says. I'm just going to believe it. We have trouble forgiving and forgetting, right? Can't believe that God does. How is that even possible, him being God? Don't put him in a box, guys. Choose to put it out of his memory, okay? Um, it's got to be a daily choice for us not to dwell in those things. God gives grace, right? Undeserved favor. We wrestle with that, don't we? 
Okay, our kids, <laughs> they should be getting a spanking. I don't want to take them out for ice cream. <laughs> but don't you guys feel that way with God sometimes? I should be getting a spanking right now <laughs> from my Heavenly Father. <laughs> and he wants to give me ice cream. <laughs> he wants to lavish his grace upon me. Isn't that what he does? You know, or our teenagers, you know, oh man, disrespectful. I never did that when I was a we were forgetful. Anyways, <laughs> but you take them out shopping or something. And mom and dads, I'd encourage you guys to show um, the reality of our Heavenly Father's grace towards us when our kids do deserve discipline, which we need to discipline. I mean, that's taught in Scripture. We need to be consistent. But every once in a while, take them out for the ice cream. Take them out for shopping and just explain them to them. This is our Heavenly Father. He is so unlike us. He is so loving. He is so caring. He's so forgiving. So, having the right view of God, we really need to change our minds, don't we? And the fifth thing this morning, getting close to God requires repentance. Verse 30, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now commands, so this is all for us. Now he commands us, right? Um, all men everywhere to what? To repent. Repent. Oh, I don't like that word, pastor. Repent. Are you one of those preachers? Brimstone. Repent. Yeah, we need to repent. But I think it's the sweetest word in all the Bible. Who doesn't want to turn to the Lord? Right? Acts 3.19, what happens when we repent? Repent that times of refreshing may come from being in the presence of the Lord. As a believer in Jesus Christ, there's nothing better as his kid than being in his presence. I love it. You know, It's good. And that happens when I'm in prayer when I'm in communion with him, when I'm worshiping him, when I'm studying his word, it's just like, whoa, this is sweet. I'm having some sweet fellowship with her brother or sister, and we're just talking about the goodness of God. You know, there's nothing better. It's better than any roller coaster I've ever been on. <laughs> it's just good. So it's something that God asks us to do. So don't think his repentance is a bad thing. No, turning to God's a good thing. So repenting, guys, it's really changing our mind, isn't it? The way we think. God, you're right and I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm going to turn to you because I know you're right. So God is near. He is interested. That's why he came down, right? To freely give us all things. Freely give us all things. To change our mind. Okay, A lot of people think we need to earn his favor. That's not how it works. That's religion. Well, God doesn't say that's how it works in his word. So we need to change our mind how we think about that. So what did Jesus, you know, what Jesus did, okay? A lot of people say that's not enough. Not enough, okay? Um, Catholics, they believe the gospel. Do you guys know that? They believe the gospel. You can read what their beliefs are. But it gets lost, and it should be the thing, but it gets lost. Why? Because they've added all this other stuff you have to do. And guys, don't be deceived. It's not just Catholicism. You look at any Christian denomination that's been around for any time, they've done the same thing. They've done the same thing. My sons are in a Lutheran school. This last year, Phineas came home and said, hey, you know, 
I'm not going to heaven because I didn't get baptized when I was a baby. Where is that in the Bible? You know, and then I get a bunch of scriptures from his teacher, because of course, <laughs> he brought up some issues with that. <laughs> and a bunch of scriptures came back our way, and my heart just sunk. You know, she's a school teacher for a long time, but all the scriptures, of course, are tweaked and take out of context. You know, nowhere are babies ever baptized in the Bible. You believe for salvation. You believe and get baptized. Why? Baptism is just, hey, I'm going public with my faith. It doesn't say that you're saved because of it anywhere in the Bible. But you guys understand what I'm saying is every denomination out there wants to add works. Okay, yeah, I got to believe in Jesus and I have to do all this other stuff to be okay. God says, "Uh uh-uh. Read the book of Galatians. You add anything to the work of Christ, it becomes nothing. And there's going to be so many people, like I referenced before from Matthew 7.21, many people in that day are going to say, Lord, Lord, look at all the stuff we did. And Jesus is going to say, depart, I never knew you. Well, I heard the gospel. I knew about the gospel. Who cares what you know? (laughs) Do you know him? Have you applied that knowledge? Have you humbled yourself? Have you believed in your heart? that he alone is Savior. That's all that matters, guys. So, we got to change our mind to be able to do that, right? Okay? It's all his grace. We need to walk in that grace. We need to accept that grace from our beloved. And we need to change our mind. See, God needs me and my gifts is the mentality of a lot of religious people. That's so backwards. So backwards. So put away my pride, that I'm something. See the incredible privilege that it is just to serve him. Man, I get to be on Team Jesus. I get to be about his business. What a privilege, guys. What a privilege. And you guys know that's the last, Satan, the last thing that Satan wants you to do. And he'll hit us where it hurts. I'm going to be real for a moment, and I'm going to ask for prayer. Um, I told you guys... Uh, weeks back now um, and you guys know that I don't play the spiritual warfare card I don't get into the, all that stuff but there is a real battle going on there's real evil I told you a few weeks back that I really feel like our church is being under attack and different things um, and there's just certain things that are going on in my own family personally and it's just spiritual junk the enemies you know Sonny was up at 3.30 last night in the hallway in between my kids bedrooms just reading scripture and praying over our kids. Just woke up from a horrible dream. It wasn't like horrific, like horrifying, but it was just clearly Satan is after our family, you know? And I lose a lot of sleep over the same thing. And this morning I got up, you know, I was wiped at a softball tournament yesterday and my body physically, you know, <laughs> flesh is weak, but the spirit's willing, like, hey, church! I can't get out of bed. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm up and I'm getting my coffee and I'm trying to pray and be in the spirit. And Satan, you know, he throws those fiery darts, you know. And this morning it was one of those things, you know, I felt Satan just saying in the thing that, I don't give place, we're called to resist the devil, but it's hard when he throws truth in with it. And the truth this morning was, man, and I didn't even talk to Sonny yet. I didn't know what was going on in the middle of the night. It's just been a constant thing 
going on with us. Um, the, the darts that came this morning was just give up, Landon. Just get a nine to five. You know, you, <laughs> you spent 40 years, most of your life, just serving, and it's just been hard. You're going through it. Just give up. Life could be so much easier. Your family wouldn't have to go through all this spiritual warfare, all this extra hardships of being in ministry. Just give up. You know, I knew it was from Satan, but it was hard because normally I can just forget you, buddy. I'm not even going to listen. But that truth in it, there's that self appealing part. Yeah, life would be easier. My family financially would be okay. Blah, blah, blah. You start buying into all the lies of Satan. But the thing that, you know, I'm able to take those thoughts captive. I'm able to repent, change my mind, because I know too much. The only thing that matters are eternal things. And we are eternal. We all go on to heaven or hell. That's the reality. And how could I ever stop preaching the word of God? Stop sharing the gospel with others. You can't stop. (laughs) When you know the truth, you got to be faithful with it. And that's where I'd ask for prayer, but I also share that with you guys just to be honest, to be vulnerable, because I think it's something that Satan comes against all the children of God, not just a pastor. You guys know that I'm just like you. We're brothers and sisters. We're part of the family of God, and Satan hates us because of that. And he wants to derail us, get us caught up in our own thing. Man, if God's calling you to do something, be faithful. Be faithful with it. Maybe it won't pan out for a while. Maybe God's doing things in your lives right now to prepare you for something. Great, be faithful in that preparation time. But just be doing, because when it's all said and done, it's about what he wants. It's to glorify him. It's not, oh, look at me, I'm great, and I serve the Lord, and I got extra points now in favor, and I get to go to that. No, we just studied all that. That's not how it works. But what does matter, as we read this morning, man, being able to cast those crowns back at the feet of Jesus because he is worthy. He's worthy. He's our creator. And as Isaiah tells us, we are created for what? To bring him glory. That's what it's all about. And that's the one thing Satan doesn't want us doing. So I encourage you guys, take those thoughts captive. Okay, repent, change your mind, align your thinking back to what God has said. And how do we do that? We do that by studying the Word of God. And that's why at Freedom Fellowship, we take the Word of God seriously. That's why we study through the entire Bible verse by verse. We want to know what He has to say. Because we have a whole lot of opinions, just like the Athenians had. There's a lot of philosophy today. God doesn't care about our opinions. you know that? When you get to heaven one day, oh, well, God, I thought. (laughs) Who cares what we thought? What does he think? That's the only thing that matters. So let me wrap this up this morning because there's one final truth here, okay? And the big thing when we change our mind, you guys need to know that God is all-sufficient. That's the big point, the big one, okay? And the final truth that Paul lays out for us this morning, God will judge the world one day by the man he raised from the dead. Look at verse 31. Because he appointed a day on which he will judge the world. God's coming back. I can't wait. It's going to be so fun to get into the scriptures on that. Anyways, we see it here. God will come back and he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So we see the significance of the resurrection here, guys. So one day we will stand. We will be judged, okay? 
Um, for those who don't believe, it's going to be based upon their works. They're good and they're bad. Okay, there will be a judgment. We read in Scripture that hell is a horrible place, outer darkness, eternal fire, and there's different levels in hell. Okay, it's going to be a nasty place. People will be tormented. Does God send people to hell? No, but he's a just judge. He's made every provision, everything possible. But people, again, what do they do? They reject God and his provision. I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. So, he will judge. Okay, and the judgment that, the ultimate judgment is whether you believed or not. Because those who believe, it doesn't matter how much bad we've done in life or how much good and things we did to glorify God. All that really matters is did you believe on Jesus Christ or not? And then the response that we see in verse 32 when they heard about the resurrection of the dead. Some sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Guys, catch that? Some mocked. Okay? Some mocked. Some would hear this message this morning and they would just mock just like they did with Paul 2,000 years ago. Others hear this and say, well, I'll wait till tomorrow. I want to hear some more on this. Jesus said, today is the day of salvation. Today. And then we're told some believed. Still works the same way, guys. So it's one of those things. Will you seek the Lord? Will you seek Him? I love this passage. I love all of Acts 17. The whole book of Acts has been fun, hasn't it? <laughs> There's just so much practical stuff here. And that's one thing I love about the Word of God. It is relevant, whether 2,000 years ago or today. The truth is, Jesus is the only way. He is the Savior of the world. And are you going to believe Him or not? Bottom line. And people aren't going to hear it unless we're sharing it. Non-believers aren't picking up their Bibles and reading. It just doesn't happen. Why? This is the last thing Satan wants them doing. How dare they read the truth? You know? Don't want them hearing good news. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We're so thankful for your grace, for the reality of the gospel. We're thankful, Father, for the efforts of our brother Paul so many years ago. God, the things you did in his life, the way you saved him, it makes me think of the scripture that says to whom is forgiven much, they love much. And Paul, we know, loved you, but he also had such a compassion and love for others, Lord, that he wanted, he wanted to do what was ever necessary. Lord, he was willing to go to a place like Athens. He was willing to go to a, a city that he knew he'd be stoned and, and maybe killed, Father, for, for sharing the good news, God. And... and it's one of those things I would pray that we'd all, Lord, have in our own hearts. God, is, is compassion for the lost, to see people like you see them. God, and I know that's only going to happen when we look to you, when we fix our eyes upon you, Jesus, because when we do that, Lord, we, we see, Father, we see those scars, we, we see the price that you paid, Father, how much you loved, how much you gave, God, that you were willing to even lay down your own life, that others may be saved, God. May the same be said of us, Lord. May we keep our eyes upon you and 
be willing, Lord, to, to sacrifice. Lord, not for favor, but to, to bring you glory that others may know, may hear. God, we're so thankful that you haven't given up on mankind. We're so thankful that your ways are way, way, way better than ours. Help us to humble ourselves, to submit, Lord, to, to look to you, to trust, to obey, to be diligent, to study your word, Father. We thank you so much for the privilege you give us every week, Lord, to gather together and to worship and to seek you in the word together. Father, I pray that you just continue to build up this church, that our roots would go deep, that we'd bear much fruit for your glory, God. That even today, Father, Lord, if people are hearing the good news for the first time, that they wouldn't mock, that they wouldn't save it for another day, but they would diligently start seeking you right now, Father, and believing upon, upon you, the Savior of the world. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified.